This morning's scripture verse is Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Please read with me. I, therefore, a prisoner of, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning to all of you and Happy New Year. You know, TJ has already referred to uh, the experiences that people had in, uh, in 2020. And it's all, it, it really is almost a cliche to say it's so good to have 2020 in the rearview mirror. And one of the things that um, I like to do every year is uh, there's a guy named Dave Barry, writes for the Miami Herald, who for a long time has written an annual year in review. And, and we read it as a family, and we just, we just crack up as we go through it. And I, could, I, I almost couldn't imagine trying to write a Dave Barry, who's a humorist, a year in review for 2020. But I just wanted to, I, I, I could not resist reading to you his introduction to his year in review. Dave Barry said in the past, writing these reviews, we have said harsh things about previous years. We owe those years an apology. Compared to 2020, all previous years, even the disco era were the golden age of human existence. This was a year of nonstop awfulness, a year when we kept saying it couldn't possibly get worse, and it always did. This was a year in which our only moments of genuine, unadulterated happiness were when we were able to buy toilet paper. So that's Dave Barry uh, talking about the year, and a lot, of, a lot of funny things we can say or read about the year. Uh, one of the most uh, troubling statistics of this past year that I read is that in, I think it was something like a study was done in 57 cities across the country, and the murder rate is up 30%. So you have got to just imagine, uh, if your emotions have been frayed within your relationships, within your family, within various situations, there are people that have acted in awful ways on those, on those emotions with the, the murder rate going up. Now, you might say, well, Mike, that doesn't really apply to, to our church or to me as a Christian. Uh, that's the murder rate. Well, there's, a, there's an interesting thing that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 where he's like quoting the Ten Commandments where it says, you've heard it said you shall not commit murder. But then he goes on and says, if you have hatred in your heart for your brother, you have committed murder. Now, why is that? Well, there are other ways to murder people. Uh, in contemporary culture, there are people who get canceled for saying something that's not politically correct. We can murder a person's reputation. 
We can do that through gossip. We can, we can freeze people out. We can withdraw love for them. We can have hatred in our heart for them. And yes, that even happens to Christians. And there's ways that we, we find to act out that hatred. And I think this passage that we're going to read this morning with its theme of unity is, is that is like, I think, if you're looking for a theme for 2020, for your life, for your company, for your business, for your family, or for your church, you wouldn't do too bad to choose the word unity. Now, Mike, where do you get this from this passage? Well, in verse 3, it says that we are to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So that is the theme of this passage. So why should that be, why should that be on our minds today, this morning? Why should we be um, freshly resolved in the area of unity? Well, the one thing I'd like to point out is that unity is very important to God, which, which ought to be a good enough reason. In the, in the uh, inside front cover of your bulletin, there are three quotes that are, uh, I think, really good quotes, but one of them is the prayer of Jesus in John 17, 20 and 21. You might want to check that out. I'm going to just read his prayer because it shows you something that's on the heart of Jesus for us as individuals and as a church. He says, I do not ask for these only, that is, the 12 disciples that were with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, in other words, the saints at Lake Baldwin Church, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Did, did you notice the word one in there? Jesus prays that we would be one in the same way that the Son is one, with the Father, so that the world may believe. So you can see why unity is so important to God. But there's another reason why it's important that we see here in the book of Ephesians, and as we see in the culture around us, we've referred to the fact that uh, our emotions have been frayed by the events of 2020. There's a, uh, there are ways that we've thought and acted and spoken that we ought not to have done. And uh, so there's all sorts of cultural forces. You may have noticed that there has been a coarsening in our culture in the way that people talk about other people. And one of the concerns that, that um, comes to mind is that, that that tone, that way of talking, can seep into the language and the hearts of Christians. And I've seen it in my own life. One of the things I noticed about a third of the way through the year or halfway through the year is how easily my anger would be triggered. And there's a warning in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to actually get to it in a few weeks. But as a, in verse 26, it says this comment about anger. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What that's pointing out is that although Jesus in his death, resurrection, and ascension has defeated the devil, has defeated the forces that are opposed to him, there is a mop-up operation that's going on in the world that God has called us to be a part of as, as a church, and we need to be alert to cosmic conflict. And one of the things that I've realized is that 
when my anger is getting the best of me, as Ephesians 4 says, it gives the devil an opportunity. What does the devil want to do? He wants to divide me from my family. He wants to divide me from my friends. He wants to divide me from the church. So notice that there is a strategy, there is a scheme that we need to be aware of. You know, we might be concerned about Russia hacking into all of our computer systems in our country, but there is one who has mastered the art of hacking into our souls for centuries, and it's the evil one described in Ephesians chapter 4. So we do well to give attention to this topic of unity. We're going to see in this passage three things about unity that I would love for you to be able to take away today. But I want you to notice verse 1. Could you take a look at that for a minute? Because it really sets up what's happening here. It says in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. He says, for this reason. Now, why does he say for this reason? He's referring back to all three, the previous three chapters, which are chapters that have talked about the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. We look back and we see that we've been, we've been adopted. We have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. We have been given reconciliation with God and with one another. We have been, we have been given a, an unsurpassed, unchanging love from Christ. And all of those things make us emotionally and spiritually wealthy people. So as you and I forge ahead into the commands of chapters 4, 5, and 6, we, that, we do that in light of the good news of the gospel. We would not have the strength in ourselves to pursue unity in the way that this passage describes apart from the fact that we have an emotional and spiritual wealth in Christ and we operate from those resources. So this is going to be a very challenging sermon, but you are going to need to know that the resources that God offers are there when Paul says, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. And then he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been received. So to walk, the, the word walk there means to order your conduct. It means to live in a certain way. It means to change your life, to change the way that you relate to people. So, so much of, about, of the book of Ephesians is about change. And he says, uh, you'll notice he says, I urge you. The word for urge there is a Greek word which means to, he's coming alongside to urge us and to encourage us in this direction. It is as if, He's not appealing from a standpoint of legalism or guilt or shame. He's appealing to us in light of the gospel. I'm appealing to your heart to live this way. So verse 1 is a beautiful setup. So three things about unity. First of all, that I want you to remember from this passage, the first one is that unity requires humble character. Number one is unity requires humble character. Number two, unity takes sustained effort, and three, unity is built upon shared truth. So let's talk, first of all, about how unity requires humble character. I like it that Paul starts here with character, not just actions, but the qualities of heart that Christ wants to grow within us. So notice what he says in verse 2. Look at these words. This is the challenging part of this passage, by the way. We are in it right now. So let these words sink in. 
He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Unity requires humble character, and that is where Paul starts. Now, humility is the first word. There's four other words in here, but I believe that humility is required for all of these words, and so we're really going to camp on, on the idea of humility. What is humility, and uh, you know, what is that, how is that expressed in our lives? Well, humility is opposed to a couple of things. In the Bible, humility is opposed to pride, which was the original sin of mankind. Uh, there's a place in James and in 1 Peter where it says God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so uh, when I go through humbling experiences, uh, I at least know that God has a plan for that. He's trying, to, um, he's trying to squeeze the pride out of my life because the Bible says God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility is opposed to self-righteousness. If, if you read through the Gospels, you see the Pharisees um, highly judgmental, highly prideful, highly self-righteous, believing that they are superior to other people. So this is, this is detrimental to relationships. So pride, self-righteousness. But one of the best um, verses about humility that I, that I refer to or that I think about in the Bible is found in Romans 12, 3. It says, to, to not, um, not, do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not be wise in your own estimation, but to think so as to have sound judgment. Really like that, because it's not like I am a worm, I'm humble, you know, I don't have anything good to say. But just don't be wise in your own estimation. There is a, there's a touch of humility, and it's expressed in relationships, it's expressed in the world of ideas. So how would, how would humility be expressed? So, so here's some practical application. Here's some phrases that, that I have heard very rarely in 2020 that I would encourage all of us to use more frequently in 2021 some of these phrases. Here's one, I'm wrong and I'm sorry. I'm wrong and I'm sorry. Here's another phrase, will you forgive me? To say those words, what, a, what an icebreaker that is to ask for forgiveness in a relationship. Hey, here's another one. There are things, obviously things in my life that I'm not aware of that I can't see but would you tell me how you experience me? That is really a fun question to ask your spouse, your family, your friends. How do you experience me? Though you'll probably hear some really good things, but occasionally you might get something where you go, well, here's something, here's an effect that you have on people that you might not be aware of. You know, I've lived in close proximity the past few weeks with, with family and stuff, and so there's, there's all sorts of ways that I've realized in my life that I'm unaware of things, that I have blind spots, just like when I'm driving a car and I can't see out of a certain blind spot on my car, but there are things that are pointed out to me by people who love me and people who care for me. So some of these phrases, uh, the, a phrase like, I could be wrong, help me understand. 
One of the things that's been just amazing this year is that, is that as I watch the interactions on social media, as I watch people debating things like politics and racism and COVID and all sorts of other things, I have found very few people, in fact, it's, I could probably name on one hand the number of people who I've watched come out and say, you know, that is such a good point, I never saw that. Thank you, thank you for telling me about that. Because we're so, we so want to prove that we're right. We, there's that pride, there's that self-righteousness. But the Bible calls us to humility. He, it, the Bible also calls us to gentleness. Now that's, that flows, gentleness and humility actually go together, but I wanna give you a definition of gentleness. I said a moment ago that there has been a coarsening of our culture. Uh, it's often characterized by uh, speaking in a condescending or a disdainful way, speaking disparaging of people. Again, this is one of the ways that we can cancel people or hurt people. I want to give you a definition of gentleness. Listen to these two definitions of gentleness, one of the words we see in this passage. Gentleness, the quality of not being overly impressed with a sense of one's own importance. And then here's another de definition. I, I just love this. I would love to see more of this. Kind and gracious, even when circumstances might warrant otherwise. Kind and gracious, even when circumstances might warrant otherwise. Have you thought about your speech the past few weeks, the past few months, the things that you've said? Has it been characterized by humility of heart? Has it, have, have you thought, you know, I could be wrong. Somebody else may have a different point of view on this. I could learn from anyone. Has there been gentleness or has there been, has there been disdain or condescension? These are the character qualities of, uni of, of unity. There's one more in here. It's, and it's another combination, it's patience with forbearance. Patience with forbearance. And I wanna make a comment about forbearance because I think that is really where the rubber meets the road with people, forbearance. For, one of the things about forbearance, I heard somebody say years ago, don't try to see through people, try to see them through. You know, the people that disagree with me, I try to dismiss them based upon what I know about a personality test that they've taken or because of a pattern I've seen in their life or whatever it might be. It's so easy to invalidate people, to dismiss people. But what if, what would it be like if we had forbearance where we could say, you know what, I don't want to try to see through people, I want to see them through. And it might cause us to be patient, it might cause us to forbear, it might cause us to not say something that we would regret later that would destroy another person. And he said, and we do this all in love. Isn't this a great description of what, lo of what loving our neighbor is all about? So if you really take all that stuff in, and I, you know what, you guys, I have a fear of talking about this right now. I want to tell you what that fear is. When, when people preach the Bible, the goal is to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. And oftentimes when you go through a passage like that, the fear is that you're gonna afflict the afflicted. You know, those of you that are really down on yourself already, it's like, good grief, I'm worse than I, you know, I'm, it's awful. 
and what you need is comfort. Those, there, there are others that are hearing something like this, <clears throat> and they're so comforted. They can think of a million people that I wish would hear this sermon. And, and so we really have to trust the Holy Spirit to apply the needle, to apply the vaccine, to apply the medicine. But wherever we're at on that spectrum, here's a good question to ask is, how do I grow in these character qualities? How does that, how does that come about in my life? Well, you hear us talk a lot about the gospel at, in this church because we believe that it is the good news of Christ that transforms the heart, not self-effort or legalism or shame or guilt. It is the good news of the gospel. Now, why would I say that? Well, I want you to think of um, the words of Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. It says, Jesus said these words, now, now hear these words coming out of 2020. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Now, I love that phrase, all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. How, who would be weary and heavy laden? Those that are burdened by their inability to live up to God's standards. And in that context, you had all these Pharisees and Jesus was talking to all these people that were burdened by the rules of the Pharisees. He'd say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you. What's that talking about? Walk with Jesus. Stay connected to Jesus. Stay connected to his people. Stay connected in prayer and in God's word. Walk with Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You hear the growth process there? Don't, don't measure yourself against the standard and say, hey, I'm just a loser. No, invite the spirit to bring about growth in your heart. And when we come to, to Jesus, there is forgiveness from him. That was the beauty of just hearing the gospel as Mark was sharing the gospel with us this morning, the good news of the gospel. But listen to Matthew 28, excuse me, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Jesus says at the end, he says, what does he say? For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, the same uh, humility and gentleness that God is calling us to extend to others he has already extended to us, and that should make all of us breathe freely. That should make all of us soften our hearts. That should make all of us ready to say, Jesus, what do you want to do in my heart? How do you want to change me? So, first of all, humility happens, excuse me, unity happens in, a con in the context of humility of character. Unity requires humble character. The second thing we want to point out is in verse three, and let's talk about that. Unity takes sustained effort. So look at verse three here. It says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now you look at that verse, the word maintain implies that there is effort on our part maintain the unity of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God has given us unity, but we need to maintain it. It's like just doing maintenance on your teeth, maintenance on your car, maintenance on your finances, maintenance on things in life. Unity in the church does not happen automatically. It requires maintenance. You've noticed this in your marriage. You've noticed this in your relationships, in your family. Unity requires and involves 
maintenance. So we maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now what's, what is that talking about where it talks about the bond of peace? I was reading one excellent uh, commentary on this idea of the bond of peace, and the writer translates it as the fastener of peace. The fastener of peace. And this is really a cool idea, I think. So um, New Year's Eve, uh, Molly, uh, before we went to bed, was taking off a bracelet that she had. And she said, I need your help taking off my bracelet. Well, I always freeze up when I have to take off a bracelet because everything's so small and delicate. And Because what, what do you get on a bracelet is there's a fastener that holds it together. So what I've got to figure out in about five seconds, and I'm panicking, is how does this fastener work so I can get this thing off? And so fortunately... Uh, this New Year's Eve, I was able to figure it out. You know, she can't do it with one hand, right? So she needed me to kind of take care of this fastener. Well, we have, as Christians, they're, they're a fastener that is the bond of peace. Now, what is that about? Well, it's peace with God, peace with one another. But I want to illustrate how that fastener works. When you take membership vows in a church, like we do in this church, Membership vows are very countercultural. Why is that? And why are marriage vows uh, countercultural? Well, people don't want to make commitments in, in our culture today. But what we do when we affirm our membership vows is there will, there will be a bunch of people that will do that here in a few weeks. We, we take a vow to practice the purity and peace of the church. We take a, a vow to practice the purity and peace of the church. I know of a, fr a friend who planted a church up in Richmond, Virginia. He said there's only two things you need to do to be part of this church. One is you need to not gossip. And number two, you need to be willing to work in the nursery. Now, why would he say that? Well, the first one is because of the bond of peace. You, you, you practice the purity and the peace of the church so you won't gossip. You won't be destructive in the church. And uh, the one about working in the, we would call it serving in Splash once a month, but it's basically that you, you take a vow to support the church in its worship and work, and there's a lot of different ways to do that. But he sort of picked two key areas about that. But this bond of peace is an amazing thing because when you start to feel your relationships deteriorate, you remind yourself, I took a vow. It's a countercultural vow. It is a bond of peace, but it is a fastener. It is a fastener so that when relationships get into a storm, that vow that you've taken, when it was, when it was easier to say it, when it gets tested, that fastener is still there. So be diligent to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Final thing about unity in this passage. Uh, we do it through humility of character. Uh, we maintain it. It takes, it takes effort. It takes diligence to do it. But then the third thing is that unity is based upon shared truth. You see, when we talk about the unity of believers in the body of Christ, we talk about our unity, we are not asking people to compromise the truth. We actually, we really believe in truth. And so what you have to do is you have to realize that our unity is rooted in and it's based upon shared truth. On Christmas Day, I sent a WhatsApp text to a friend who's a pastor in Moscow, Russia. 
And I said, hey, do you guys get to celebrate two Christmases? Because you got Merry Christmas today, December 25th. And then there's a, there's, a, there's a sort of a Russian Orthodox Christmas on January 7th. And he got back to me, he says, no, the way we approach that is we celebrate Epiphany on January 6th. Now, what's, read between the lines there, what he's saying is there's a distinction in some of our theological beliefs within different organizations within our country. So he's got an identity, he's got a belief that was there. He handles it very lovingly, but he's very committed to the truth. And so the Bible teaches that we, our unity is based upon shared truth. So if you look at verses four through six for a minute, verses four through six, the word one, which is the, the key word that we started out with, it's the key word for this series, the word one is used seven times. And one of the things you see in this passage is that you see the Trinity here. Take a look at verse four. He says there is one body and one spirit. So that's the Holy Spirit. Look at verse five. There is one Lord, that is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And then verse six says there is one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. And so you think about it, our truth is rooted in the Trinity. Now, when we use the word Trinity here in our church, we just assume everybody understands that, but that may not be the case. The word Trinity means tri-unity, or one God manifest in three persons. When St. Patrick brought the gospel to Ireland many centuries ago, he wanted to illustrate the Trinity, and so one of the ways he would do that is he would show them a three-leaf clover. He said it's one leaf, but there's kind of three branches to it. And he's just trying to make sense of a really powerful truth, a mystical truth, but a very true truth, and that is that we have one God who manifests himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So we're rooted in that truth. And one of the things you have to sort out is what are the core truths of the Christian faith around which we unify? In 2020, people tended to be divisive over secondary things like masks or like a political election or your diff different approaches to handling racism and people became entrenched in those. There was not only a sometimes a lack of humility or an unwillingness to listen to other people, there was also a lack of work in maintaining the unity of the spirit, but there was also a departure from the importance of grounding our unity in the basics of the Christian gospel and realize, hey, this is what holds us together. I don't need to split with people based upon secondary things. So look at these ones in verses four through six. There's one body. One of the great things about this phrase, one body here, is he's talking about the church, the body of Christ. He says there is one body. And one writer said this body is across entrenched social boundaries. And so whether they be boundaries of, of age or race or income or personality or whatever it might be, there is one body. So he wants us to remember that. In those days it was Jews and Gentiles. We've talked about that. So there's one body. It says in verse four again, uh, there is one spirit. We talked about that just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. We have a shared destiny, a shared inheritance. Look at verse five. This is really great because verse five is all about the great truths of salvation, the great truths of the gospel. 
one Lord, that is Jesus. And, that, and by the way, that was pretty powerful back in those days because there were inscriptions to Nero that said that Nero, the emperor, was Lord of all. For Paul to say there is one Lord, that was amazing. This is way above any political leaders, emperors, whatever. There is one Lord. There is one faith. And the faith there is the body of teaching, apostolic teaching in the Word of God that we teach. There's one faith. And then there is one baptism referring to Christian baptism. So right in that verse, you've got the whole salvation process of of believing in Jesus Christ, believing what he did for us, and then being baptized into the body of Christ. And then finally you get to verse 6. There's one God and Father of all. Notice it says that he is over all and through all and in all. We are united around a God who is sovereign, who runs the whole universe, the same God that, that Joseph could quote to his brothers when he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about this present result. And we believe in that one God. It's an amazing, amazing thing. So as we look at this passage, we have an incredible basis for unity. What I'm going to do right now is we're going to take a moment and we're going to pray but I would like to encourage you, I would like to, to challenge you as you think about this message, as you think about this passage, is there a step that God wants you to take toward another person? You've been waiting for them to come to you, but maybe there's a step where you need to say, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, I need to own this, will you forgive me? There might be a step that you need to take. That step is rooted not in works righteousness, but it's rooted in the gospel of reconciliation. So as we go to the Lord's Supper, we are talking about the fact that we have been reconciled vertically to God, but also rec reconciled horizontally to one another. As we come to this Lord's Supper, I think it's, it's proper, as the Bible says, to take a moment to examine ourselves. And so I want to invite you to take a moment just to pray silently and to ask God right now, Lord, is there a step you want me to take? Is there something that you want to do in my heart in 2021? Take a moment in silent prayer, confessing your sins, receiving his forgiveness. Lord, as we come to this table this morning, we want to give thanks to you for the gospel. We want to give thanks to you for the one, for the Savior who died for us and for the Savior who rose, for the Savior with whom we commune at this time. We set apart these, this grape juice this wafer from its ordinary use for now a sacred purpose to feast upon. In Jesus' name we pray.